Welcome to Quest with Kirk Durston. I'm your host, Sheldon Kotick. You can subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to give us five stars if you like it. If you don't like it, please tell us why. And now, Quest with Kirk Durston. Hello, Kirk. How are you doing? I'm actually doing great. We're finally getting some sunshine here. And uh, man, it just makes me feel better when I see stuff like that, like sunshine. Yeah, we, we actually spent some time on our back deck yesterday. And for those of you in the States um, who have a back deck that you can use all year round, uh, that's a very unusual thing for, uh, for us here in Manitoba. And I think, Kirk, you would say the same thing. You don't get out a whole lot on your back deck in the winter. No, <laughs> not no, a place you want to be. Not a place you want to be on your deck in the wintertime. Um, the other place you don't want to be, on the streets of Winnipeg, Manitoba, um, in the spring. Uh, we have these things called potholes. Yeah. Um, Florida, they call them sinkholes. Um, about the same size. Uh, some cars are getting swallowed up. There's a picture floating on... Uh, internet this morning of a shopping cart put in the middle of a pothole just because it was sitting there and people were hitting it destroying their vehicles and uh, somebody finally just got annoyed and just dumped a shopping cart in there and all you could really see of the shopping cart is about that much so yeah well i used to live in winnipeg and i had to get regular wheel alignments Mm -hmm. every year i'd have to get wheel alignments after the main pothole season was passed because it was just heinous somebody was they got a picture in the uh, ctv uh winnipeg Uh, search it up somebody's uh fishing in a pothole right now uh i don't know if there's any fish in there but uh it was a pretty good pretty good picture okay uh yeah you you gotta have fun with it i guess but Mm -hmm. It's, uh, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty ugly out there. Um, so, uh, what else is going on in your life? Uh, well, I've got another, um, uh, reaction video going up later on today, um, on, um, on a, it's a short video. It's only four minutes. I mean, not my video is short, but the one I'm responding to, it's only four minutes long. It's got over 35 million views and, uh, I'm responding to, um, some of the things I like about it, others not so much. And uh, who is it? Well, it's a short video called "Why I Hate Religion but Love Jesus." Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so um, it's been out there for ten years, but with so many views, I figured I, I need to say something about this. Both what I really like about it, and and some things that I think really. Uh, I guess the main purpose would be if we're going to talk about these sorts of things that he's talking about there, there's certain certain pitfalls to avoid. And one of them is um, reinforcing misconceptions our culture has, Mm -hmm. which end up digging the hole even deeper for ourselves, but we then have to climb out even deeper. So that's, that's basically what I'm talking about in that response video. Looking forward to that one. Um, you were interviewed this week. Um, is that public or? Uh, yeah, actually, it turned out that it was just an interview about possibly doing a, a big oh, interview. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, interview, the interview. are up on that one, but they want a real professional level filming job on this interview. And that's going to probably be later on this summer, August at the latest. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll come back to that when it actually looks like it's going to happen. And then I had an interview last week, I think, in the UK. Yeah, in the UK uh, on Unwin's work with, with regard to sex and culture and how our civilization is is going to collapse uh, within probably 60 to 80 years. Now, you, you've had previous interviews on that. I believe we talked about yeah. a, a previous one. Is this the same same group or is it a different group? Oh, or? the last one was uh, an Irish interview with um, in Ireland. Well, I wasn't there, but, you know, the <laughs> usual online interview. And this one's in the UK. Uh, it's a totally different group. The uh, Irish one was some sort of a TV uh, network that's mostly online. And this one has to do with some sort of a secular organization that really wants to promote marriage or or promote the taking marriage seriously and um, really committing yourself to making it work 
and this um, <laughs> the episode had to do with getting sexually involved outside of marriage. Is it is it able to be watched publicly, or is it uh, something they're just holding on to for now? I think uh, it's going to be watched publicly. Um, yeah, I'm not sure about the details on that one. I'd have to get back to the guy and find out when and where it's playing. Well, if we can find that out, we'll put that in uh, yeah. the description later. Yeah. Um, awesome. And uh, have you been doing any writing lately, or are you... Uh... Actually, uh, it so happens that I'm working on um, the script for a series on sexuality, and the particular script I'm working on this week is actually on Unwin and Unwin's findings and how he studied 86 cultures and civilizations and found that every one of them collapsed when they had a sexual revolution and there was a particular tipping point. So I'm writing a script on that that will be about a 10, 12, 14-minute video. And uh, then I got a series of other videos in this same series. I've been asked so much to deal with the Christianity and sexuality issue that um, I really got to I really got to deal with that. And so I'm writing these scripts. I'm sending them off for editorial review. I've got some good people who go over them and and give me their input and their suggestions for revision. And then they'll all be filmed at once, and they'll start going online hopefully by June. Uh, one one a week. Great. Um, all right. Well, uh, thanks for the update on that stuff. Uh, I sent you a message yesterday saying, hey, should we talk about this whole freedom thing? Um, Twitter, of course, um, drives a lot of the news these days. Um, I don't know if you noticed. Uh, yesterday, the um, U.S. government came up with a new a new department um, to, about disinformation. So some oh, people are calling it the Ministry right. of Truth uh, from talk uh, about 1984. The, talk about the fox guarding the hen house when it comes to disinformation. Government decides what could go wrong. Um, what could go wrong. But uh, in, in that, and uh, of course, Elon Musk... Um, buying twitter uh some people are saying that he's actually owning the libs um the the question of freedom of speech comes up because yeah. uh, elon says he's a free speech absolutist which um there's a lot of definitions on of what free speech actually is what are the limitations um is it a god-given right comes up uh or is it just something that uh, the government allows uh, as a um, in our charter of rights and freedoms, we don't really have something like freedom of speech here in Canada. It's, it's sort of a assumed thing, and then there's all sorts of limits around it. Mm -hmm. But um, in fact, um, who knows? We we'll, might say something today that'll get us uh, put in jail later, <laughs> or at least banned. You don't really know until after. But um, so. Um, I, I thought it would be an interesting subject because there's, I know on the conservative, the right side of the political aisle, uh, a lot of people have been frustrated with Twitter because they feel like it's shadow banned. There's all sorts of um, uh, censorship around uh, issues that are big issues of today. And uh, it's a very much a, uh, Twitter has very, had very specific rules against hate speech, which were applied, some would say, unevenly uh, around different things. But there's a government, there's a society um, aspect of freedom of speech. But is there a Christian value around freedom of speech? And, and, and I guess we talked a lot about free will yesterday. <laughs> and this free will is does... Do we have the ability to make decisions on our own? And the idea of freedom of speech is, do we have the ability to say that uh, legally? And is that something that um, God actually talks about in the Bible at all? That's a, that's a very interesting question, Sheldon. Um, with pertaining to God, is it a God-given right or not? The Bible actually does talk about 
uh, does talk to the individual about what they say. You know, for example, it says that every careless word we will have to give an account for. Um, <clears throat> but that's different from making commands about thou shalt not say, you know, thou shalt do this or not do that. I think with, from God's perspective, that free speech, he has given us the freedom to say whatever we want. And he actually allows us that freedom to say whatever we want. In fact, he allows an enormous amount of freedom to do things and to say things and even to think things that are just flat out wrong. He allows us that freedom. But with a freedom comes accountability, moral accountability, and consequences. And uh, this is where I think the Christian who, the sincere Christian, let's talk about, let's say, the the uh, legit Christian who actually is trying to follow Jesus Christ as opposed to, let's say, culture-led Christianity or expectation-driven Christianity. But the legit Christian must always think about what I, I have to think about what I say. I think about what I say a lot. And uh, one of the things that it's always in the back of my mind is, well, there's a number of things. Number one is, what am I morally obligated to say? Like there's certain th times where we're morally obligated to speak up and say, this is not only this is wrong, but things that are right, we're obligated to give encouragement by the things we say. We have an obligation to speak up and support what is right and to speak up about what is wrong. We have an obligation. We can't just sit silent on these things. Um, we have, um, and we have accountability for what we're going to say as well. Like, is what I'm going to say hurtful to a person? Now, that doesn't mean I don't say it. In fact, there are times when we have a moral obligation to say things that are actually going to be hurtful to someone. Uh, for example, let's take myself, somebody saying something is hurtful to me. I've had people say things or call me out, for example, for things that I might have said or did that were actually not right or an attitude that I have that is not right. And, you know, I don't really enjoy it when people call me out. I don't like it, but I know that I need it. I need it. We need input of other people. When we're stepping out of line here for other people to just step in, now hopefully, here's another, another free speech rule God gives us. He says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to other people. And I have messed up a ton in that area. The younger I, the more further, the further I go back in my history, and the younger I am, when I look back there, the more I messed up. And I actually have a file downstairs of newspaper clippings of letters to the editor, so forth, that I wrote and I sent in. And they were published by various newspapers across Canada. And I read those now, and most of those are really, really cringeworthy. It's like, wow, I, I hope nobody ever sees. Thank goodness, hopefully they're not being put online here, because they were not gracious at all. So there are rules that we have to abide. But having said that, here's a principle that I that I think is important, and that is there, there's a principle in the in in the Bible, and that has to do with hypocrisy, living and speaking one way in public, covering up filth and corruption underneath. And one of the things I see going on in today's culture those who are opposed to free speech is they, they want to shut down speech that they don't agree with or that they think is wrong. But from my perspective, if there's a racist in my neighborhood, I want to know about that. I want to know about it. I don't want that racist or let's say a person who has horrible views on, let's say some sort of awful moral things that they're doing. I'd like to know about that. And if we have a, a speech that's so filtered and so censored that nobody can say anything that say is cultural disagreeable, we're not helping anything. We are just sweeping things under the rug. We're not changing what's going on inside. 
And so I am a big fan of free speech today, even if it's stuff I think is terrible because, and, and, and I don't want to go on, maybe I should pause here because I think there is a way, there is a proper way to respond to free speech that's way off base. And our culture has lost that today because our culture has lost the capability of critical thinking and responding in a way that really can critically and morally um, engage stuff that's totally not right. But let me, I got on too long already. Yeah, I'm, I, I would, I would come at it the pretty much the exact same way. I, there's a lot of stuff out there that is really, really bad. It's evil. Um, it, it's completely wrong. Um, there's no place in society for that to be amplified. But at the same time, if we don't know that speech is occurring, it's really hard to combat it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to um, debate it, to bring better ideas to the table. And I, I think the, the whole idea of uh, misinformation um, is, is a way to bring in censorship over ideas that aren't necessarily even misinformation. Um, there's a lot of things that over the last two years were said that now that we know more, they were wrong. But at the initial, they were the only approved way of talking. And it's on both sides. There, there's, um, there's always both sides to it. But I, I really feel like there's a, there's a place where you want to have as much out in the public as possible so you can, you can debate it, you can discuss it, you can have ideas brought to the table. And sometimes you have two parties with very, very opposing ideas, but both of them have some good ideas in them that yeah. you could come into the middle and say, hey, hey actually, if you do this, you can actually line up in a pretty good idea. Yeah. In fact, that's a, one thing you mentioned there is one of the is is one of the reasons why I shudder at the thought of government deciding what's misinformation. Because over the past two years, I have down I, I keep downloading peer reviewed papers published in medical journals. Okay, I, and I you you can actually understand them. And I understand you know me who sees a big word and says, "Okay, is that a real yeah. word or not?" You, you actually know what that means. Yeah, I, I got a I, I got a PhD in biophysics. I'm used to reading science papers, and in fact, I got a science paper right now that's in the process of being. We've submitted it for publication. The reviewers have gone through it. They've sent it back, and they say, uh, "Okay, we recommend these changes." And then send it in again. And when you get that from a journal, when they're recommending, okay, here's some things we'd like to see um, tweaked, and then send it back in. When they say that, it's it's pretty much uh, you've got a it's it's looking good for getting that paper published. So right now, but I download these papers from peer-reviewed medical journals, and I read them, and I see wow, like what our government is saying and what the media is saying is actually misinformation. They're misleading the because they have their view on how to best handle the situation. And it's not just the government, but it'll be the top doctors, the government employed medical spokespeople for the situation. I've noticed that, wow, what the top doctors saying here, like are, surely they gotta be aware of these, these peer reviewed papers. There's, there's misinformation here. And I've even gone so far as to write a couple of letters to one of our national newspapers uh, saying, hey, you know, what you just published there, have you actually checked out the papers on PubMed, for example, which is where you can find medical journal papers on all sorts of different things? Crickets, no response, not interested in the actual scientific peer-reviewed information, but rather how they would like to spin it. So government monitoring, deciding what's misinformation or not, is a problem and it is a problem also for any group i mean 
Facebook. Uh, some of the stuff they've banned is just hilarious. Like who, the, the, z whoever banned that has zero information about the real science or whatever it is they're talking about. Well, it's it's like they have a list of things you're not allowed to say, and and there's an algorithm that basically just blocks it. And um, uh, I, I've seen some fun people playing around just if I say this now that Elon Musk owns Twitter, will I get banned like I used to be? And, and obviously yeah. they've been opening up some stuff, but um, it's, it's quite amazing to see the, the band list. And mm -hmm. like we, we run a, we run a system where um, there's comments, there's public comments and stuff like that. And I'm not saying there's no such thing as moderation. I think you, you have to moderate. Otherwise all you get is spam. You, you get death threats, you get porn, you get all that stuff thrown yeah. at you. So I'm not saying there's no such thing as moderation, but um, I think it's when that moderation becomes on ideas that you start running into problems where yeah. you have a, a certain set of approved ideas and people can't have a honest discussion about those ideas mm -hmm. is where things really break down. Um the transgender debate can can um can a trans uh, female swim in a girl's race mm -hmm. like not able to actually have a discussion around okay is that actually something that should be happening um yeah as a father yeah. of three daughters it's it's a question because mm -hmm. like it are people that formerly were male and have changed and not even changed a lot. Can they now take spots that were slotted for females to yeah, compete, compete, on, compete and, on a physical level when they're, yeah, I know, I know some athletes uh, personally who are uh, Olympic caliber international competitors and this is a problem, but it can't be discussed. And this is just an example of, of where free speech has has been just it's not even up for discussion here so when things are not up for discussion what happens is that um it's seldom the case in real life that this position over here is completely 100 percent wrong and this position over here is completely 100 percent right that's pretty that's that's very rare in reality um, there's things that good points this position might have and good points they may have, and we need to be able to discuss that to actually improve the situation. But when the whole discussion is not allowed and it's assumed or enforced that this position over here is a sacred cow, can't even be discussed, etc., then you actually deprive society of improvement and betterment in that area because we're not even allowed to have a discussion in this anymore. Now, the, a basis for that often is, well, it's going to be hurtful to somebody. Somebody's going to feel bad. But that's how all this, that's how society and civilization improves. It's for any position you may have, whether it's a political position, a theological position, a scientific position even. Do you know that there's some heavy duty gloves off nasty conversations in even theoretical physics and people get really upset about this because their whole careers they see are at stake this is this is hurtful to them personally it's hurtful to their careers nevertheless those discussions should proceed because we do need to improve our understanding of everything that goes on in this world so in, I, I've been doing a lot of reading recently by an author who lived in Victorian times. And uh, what is, fa I mean, when I say a lot, I've read probably 12 books by this author in the last two years. And what, I, what I'm seeing here is how they functioned in everyday life and how they discussed is radically different from how we do it today. So today, uh, a lot of stuff, discussion seems to happen in terms of like short bite-sized sound bites like memes for example you say this meme and it has and it's an emotional or some sort of uh uh path, path, pathos punch in the face that gets the point across although 
intellectually, it might be completely devoid of any rational justification, but we're living on memes and emotional appeals and sound bites. Whereas in Victorian times, uh, they had discussion, rational discussions, even on a everyday level that are, I find astounding for our culture today. Like, wow, these people were thinkers. They actually had, they were articulate. They had back and forth discussions on all sorts of things that we just don't see in our culture today. So and- why, why do you think that is? Is it, um, is it social media, the way it amplifies the, um, the, the mob? Um, or is it we just don't have the capability to do it? I, I know you, you talked a, a little bit um, in a previous video of how our, our brains have degraded over time. Mm-hmm. Like, have we have we degraded that much that the society in general just can't have a a legitimate discussion about idea? Well, I would think it's a combination of both and other things too, Sheldon. Um, incidentally, I just watched a TED talk this morning on Alzheimer's, and he pointed out that our brains have actually shrunk in size over the over thousands of years. We've lost the equivalent volume of a tennis ball in our brains. And this goes back to some of the genes that seem to code for our brain, but have now become non-functional. So this general idea that we're smarter today than we were in the past, that's, that's simply another misconception our culture has today. But Uh, Apart from that, we just got to work with what we have. And so given the idea that we're working with um, brains that would be inferior to those, let's say, 3,000 years ago, uh, given that fact, we still have to function and we still have to do things. So let's look at some of the other factors you mentioned. Um, We have lost, and it's not because of brain size, because actually... Um, it's amazing what you can do with your brains, even for people who have a, a brain that's substantially smaller in volume than the average person. Some of those people can still be geniuses, literally. So uh, let's not complain too much about our brain size. Rather, uh, back in the early 90s at the university I happened to be working at the time, it was recognized by the university, we have a serious problem here that our co- the students coming into university today lack the ability to think critically or rationally. And so one of the things they wanted to institute is a mandatory course for all first-year students on on critical thinking. And I happened at the time to be spending a lot of time on universities all across Canada. And this wasn't just a problem on that particular university. It was a Canada-wide problem. And I also spoke in the USA Uh, And it was a problem and it continues to be a problem there. The loss of critical thinking amongst our students. And and why is that? It's got nothing to do with brain size and everything to do with culture. Now, there is another author by the name of Mary Eberstadt who looked at some of the problems we're facing in today's culture. And one of them, uh, again, Unwin pointed this out, the loss of rational thinking. And he pointed out that's one of the results of a sexual revolution, but Mary Eberstadt, I think, nailed it as to why it comes about from our sexual revolution. And that is, it decimates the family, reduces the extended family, increases the, the mental health challenges that people have, and so forth. And one of the things that goes out the window within a generation of a sexual revolution is rational thinking, critical thinking. And it has to do with how we're raised. With, it has to do with the, um, with the security and identity that we get from a family, an extended family of cousins and relatives and, and uh, lots of siblings and so forth. So when that goes, critical thinking goes. Why so, is that? Is that? Is that you just don't have the conversations that um, some of us that may have grown up in more of a nuclear type family with uh, mom and dad and some uh, siblings, you have conversations that make you think? That's just... part of it. I think a big part of it is our own self-identity and mental health. Um, but it also has to do with how many critical conversations you're having as a child as you're growing up. For example, in our family, we had, I have six kids. 
And we didn't say, okay, we didn't micromanage how they get along together every day. If we see a little discussion and a squabble going on between a couple of kids, we didn't immediately step in. Rather, we would watch that from afar and see how they resolve it. And if they resolved it in a good way, which was, uh, you know, having a conversation about it, coming to a mutually acceptable uh, solution to whatever the toy was they were, that was good. And that starts in childhood, these kind of, these conversations between siblings. And then there's the first cousin meetings and there's, well, how do we get along with our extended family? And we have to work through that as well. And there's different ways you can work through it. You can just simply not talk about anything, not say anything that's hurtful, but you will have a very shallow relationship that way. And that is one of the earmarks of today's culture is very shallow relationships. We, our relationships, our friends, so to speak, might be followers on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, but um, the depth of those relationships is minimal. Whereas in Victorian times, you had fewer friends, but they went far, far deeper. And the depth of friendship includes depth of intellectual discussion. That was critical as far as deep friendships go. So with shallow friendships go shallow conversations. Now that's just one factor, but that's part of the deal as to, so free speech. So what, why do, why does particularly the culture today so terrified of free speech? Well, it's part of, they put a lot of value on the punch factor of memes and sound bites, short snippets. So, um, in a free speech cult, in, in a not a free speech, so in a meme-driven culture today, um, it's thought that if you say something hurtful, you got to come back with something that maybe annuls that. But it's, a lot of times you can't. Uh, rather, in a in a culture that practices rational conversation, rational thought, somebody says something that you disagree with, the response is. Maybe, why do you say that? And then they have to give some reasons behind why they say that. And as soon as you talk about reasons, now you're starting to engage in a rational discussion. And you might analyze some of those reasons. You find, well, there, maybe this is not true, this premise that they have. There's a misconception here. And so that actually, uh, that kind of conversation, but in, in people today in our culture today don't even know how to have these kind of conversations. They're afraid to even ask, why did you say that? They're afraid to even ask that unless they're in a position of power. And so wokeism has taken over the universe, the academic world today. So a number of surveys have showed that students are actually afraid to even ask a question in class or say something in class for fear. Uh, somehow they get reprimanded or there's a reproof done or they get suspended or whatever. There's a culture of fear in the academic world today. Not so much amongst those people in a position of power. And I happen to know of certain specific departments that I have personal knowledge of where the, the, the woke people, for example, can say the most harshest uh, devastating things against people they disagree with, but the people they disagree with cannot say a thing back. They're totally muzzled, censored, and if they do say something back, there are going to be repercussions. It's almost like a fascist, author totalitarian society that's emerging, and I suspect this is one of the things that Elon Musk is afraid of, is that, no, we don't want a totalitarian society where everybody holds the cards. Now, I realize the left is saying, well, maybe the right's going to hold all the cards. We'll see. I hope that's not the case. It's, it's interesting because Elon Musk is not on the right at all. He's uh, Andrew Yang's border. He's, he's, he's left, yeah. but he's, he's not woke. And I think that is where um, I've been really watching a lot of what's been going on. And I think it comes down to power. Um, free speech means you don't have the power to control what is what is talked about in public. That's right. And um, and you're going to have to defend your position of power, and they don't want yeah. to defend it. You're going to have to come up with some rational justification for what you say and do, and they don't want that. It's very much 
basically the the as a society moves away from god and moves to the secular position it increasingly puts their faith instead of putting it in god puts it in governance and this governance the increased faith in governments requires that that government has increased power to enforce that position that they want and you don't want threats to that where free speech is a threat now I want to go into a little bit. What is the Christian response when we see free speech being taken away and not even just free speech, but freedom, because I think there's a tendency like in Canada, we had the freedom convoy went down in the States too. Um, there's protests all over the place. Um, w- there's, there's lots of rights and freedoms that are, um, put into law um again canada's got a little different view where the government gives us those rights in the u.s it's a god-given right but what are what are the actual rights that we have as christians because i don't think the constitution is driven from a biblical perspective yeah even though it says God-given rights. But um, what, what are those rights that we have as Christians that we can, um, that we would fight for? <laughs> yeah, well, that's a very good question, Sheldon. I think um, authentic Christianity thinks more, and not so much in terms of rights, but in terms of obligations. What are my obligations to uh, my neighbor and to God? Those, that would sum it all up. There is one right that is spoken of in the Bible. It says, to many as received Christ, or put your faith in Christ, to those people who gave the right to become children of God. So there is, there is the right there. That's a God-given right. You can actually belong to God. You, beget, you can become like one of his own daughters and sons by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, becoming spiritually reborn. But that's a right. But in this world, Jesus says, we will have a lot of persecution. That's not a right. I wouldn't say it's a right to get persecuted. It's it's a it comes with more of a promise. It's almost a pro. It's not a promise that I will persecute you, <laughs> but this is going to happen. One thing God does say is that those He loves, He disciplines, and so if you do are a follower of Christ, you can probably expect discipline, and that'll take the form of all sorts of things. You could say people saying hurtful things to you. I had one guy said, uh, Kirk, you're arrogant. And, uh, well, like I need to take that seriously. I I actually, and it was about some issue that I think he was totally wrong on. But as soon as he says, Kirk, you're arrogant. Well, suddenly, okay, it's not about this issue anymore. There's a deeper issue here. And I, and I, and the question is, am I actually arrogant? Do I actually think I'm right on this? And I, I thought, well, I actually think I'm right. And I, I would be a liar if I says I think I'm wrong. But at the same time, what about this aspect of being arrogant? I actually thanked him. I, I stopped talking about the issue. And I says, thank you. I, I appreciate that rebuke. I said, I would consider myself to be um, a blessed, uh, blessed if more people would, would reprove me. I value that and thank you. And I will actually go and think about this. Am I coming across in an arrogant way? And I think there is a tendency, believe it or not, for all of us to have pride and arrogance in our life. And it's good if we get approved that way. So rights, obligations. So 150 years ago, people tended to think in terms of what are my obligations to my community, to my family, to God, to my government. We don't think that way anymore. We think, what are my rights? So what happens if your rights are being violated? So here's, here's the way I handle this, because I just don't want to be a doormat and lay down and, and say, okay, government can do whatever they want. No, I don't think that's the solution. I think what I, as a, as a, I would hope, legit Christian, I have to translate. There's a term in mathematics we use transform, and that's when you kind of uh, translate something from one state of affairs into another state of affairs so you can analyze it more effectively or see how it looks from that uh, series of dimensions or that uh, situation. So I transform the free, uh, free, um, our freedoms 
and thrust our freedoms, I transform that into the realm of what's right and just. So is it right what the government has said that what the government wants to do? Is that right or is that just? And I think we have, to some extent, an obligation to speak up when we see things that are not right or not just. On the other hand, there's only so many battles we can fight. And for myself, I, I, I try and represent God online. And that comes with an enormous amount of pushback and insults and a ton of hurtful things people say. That just comes with the job. I mean, I have learned to let the arrows go, just pass right through me. Don't resist, just let them vent and maybe see if there's a way I can engage them. But back to, let's say, rights and what's just. So if the government, for example, makes a rule that says you cannot have more than, say, two people in your house, for example. Now, what if your immediate family is bigger than two people, but they don't all live in your house? So then you have to say, well, is this right? Is this the government is now interfering with my own family relations here? That, that are very important. We have a moral obligation to get together as family as much as we can. So, And that becomes a thought process we need to think through. So it's no longer about rights. Is what's my moral obligation as someone who is a member of an immediate family that's bigger than two people? And that yeah, I, I don't want to get fined in uh, fined uh, in in the past, but. Um, I'm, I'm very interested in at what point, uh, because I do see there's, there's times in the Bible where an appeal to authority or an appeal to a law happens. Paul was a classic, classic example where he appealed to Caesar mm-hmm. and, and he appealed to his rights too. For example, when he was yeah. getting stretched out to get whipped, he said, uh, wait a sec, I'm a Roman citizen Roman. here. <laughs> This is actually against the law. And so um, there is room in our society to go through the legal channels and say, wait a sec here. This is not uh, right here. This is a violation of the Charter of Rights of Freedom. Or this is a violation of the law. It gets even more complicated when the government admits, as they have in, in a very recent court case, yes, we did violate your Charter Rights. We did do that, but we felt justif- we felt it was justified in this greater situation and now you have to argue about that in court so in general we have a moral obligation to obey the government until they cross a moral line and that's where a lot of discussion occurs when does the government cross the moral line we have cases in the bible where they were ordered by the authorities to speak no longer about jesus christ well we got a higher order from god that we're supposed to do that and so then we have a moral obligation to act, we have a moral obligation for civil disobedience or to um, basically disobey the law when the law itself requires us to do something morally wrong. So, so I, I'm thinking through what, um, one of the reasons this, this came to mind is uh, somebody posted on Facebook Thank you, Elon Musk. Uh, you allow you're now going to allow Christians to have um, to have the right to uh, to share Jesus with the world for an for years uh, because he bought Twitter. Um, I don't know. I <laughs> I don't trust people. I think yeah, putting yeah. your trust in any human being is a bad mistake. Actually, yeah, and I don't honestly think. M- Musk is going to be the 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 difference in all of this. Um, He's not the savior of humanity. That's so. But I, I did I did find it interesting that um, the the idea of freedom of speech is um, under attack, causing it to be more difficult to share our faith. Yeah, and is is there a place where as Christians we we look back 20 years 30 years uh, even longer and say you know what we really made some mistakes taking advantage of the power structure that we had in mm-hmm. um, 
in society where um, if somebody wanted to do something outside of what the church found good, it was going to be a big problem. And <clears throat> whether it's boycotts or being thrown in jail for having uh, views that aren't approved by the church, uh, that was way more common hundreds of years ago than uh, recently. But um, uh, how do we as Christians, how should we behave when we do have a more of a power um, ownership of power mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when things change, we aren't immediately shot down because I think, for we are now oh you're a christian you had your chance type thing and uh, i think you think you you mentioned it earlier grace i think is one of those important things respect um but it, can you touch on that a little bit yeah that's um okay so uh, let's use porn for example in the past porn was banned or at least what anything but uh, it depends what they define there's a threshold here but the threshold let's say 50 years ago was drastically lower than the threshold today as to what's legal so there was what's legal 50 years ago there's what's legal today huge difference so in the past a more conservative society said okay we're going to censor anything above this threshold that is flat out illegal you get arrested whatever so how uh how do you handle that that's a good question, but also how much should you restrict? Let's say if I've suddenly found myself, suddenly, you know, often today I'll see some lame thing the government does and I think, well, what if I was dictator of this country, what would I do? And that's not an easy question because the immediate temptation is, okay, here's the rules. This is going to be allowed. This is not going to be allowed. But then I think about what God allows in this world. And I think, whoa, like God gives us moral rules, but he also allows people freedom to decide whether they're not going to live by those moral rules. But he also gives us the government to enforce God's moral rules, is what it says in Romans chapter 13. But what happens when the government goes rogue? What if the government doesn't feel they need to follow God anymore? that they need to even incorporate Judeo-Christian values, and they make up their own rules. Let's say, like in North Korea, for example, or some of the draconian rules that China, the Communist, uh, Communist Party of China is now implementing for COVID restraint, that people in Shanghai are just saying, this is unbearable. So I don't know, Sheldon. It is tough to say. On the one hand, it's... It's um, if you're the government, you have to have rules, but God's plan for government is that those rules are actually correspond to moral reality. And the problem comes when the government moves further and further away from moral God's moral reality and starts making up its own reality. Then it starts crossing the moral line. And then you start having a moral obligation to say, no, this is wrong, not even abiding by that. But even how you abide, how you confront, like, for example, I have worked in the past in uh, certain communist regimes. Uh, I have been there. I've talked about Jesus Christ. I've done things that were flat out illegal, let's say, in the USSR or Cuba or whatever. Um, But I was morally obligated. I felt I'm morally obligated to defy the law in this case, to set aside the law because it's morally wrong. So, but I don't have to do it in a way that's in the government's face. And the Christians in those countries, it was, if you did it in a way that is in their face, in the face of the government, you just simply got the hammer-fisted handling of the government. You were destroyed, cut down, executed, whatever, and you were destroyed. So somehow Christianity has to learn how to function in a society where the government's rules uh, diver, digress from what's morally right but yet in a way that they accomplish our mission as Christians, that is to prepare to meet God and help others do the same, while at the same time surviving in a society where there is no freedom of travel, freedom of no freedom of speech, no freedom of assembly. So then you have to figure out how we're going to function and carry out the mission in that situation. 
Um, I think the mission is sort of that those key words that are should drive the discussion instead of the idea of freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, if our if our idea if our idea as Christians is we need to we need to defend our freedoms we need to fight for our freedoms we need to do this all of a sudden we built up a little little idol for ourselves where the freedom and the liberty and all of these things becomes an idol and you lose sight of those are just tools to help us do the mission easier mm-hmm. but the mission is the the key piece in God is God is when we're worshiping. God is when we're serving. We're obeying Him to accomplish the mission that He's given us, and we are doing that mission regardless of what those other rules are. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it in a way that we can accomplish the mission better. So if we're going in the face of the government and and we're throwing it in their face and we're and we're not being smart about it, obviously we're going to get shut down easier, which isn't going to accomplish the mission. No. But there, again, there, there are times where, okay, you, you look at what Stephen and, and Paul and, and people in that age were, were doing, and they were right in the temple. They were having d- discussions with respect and uh, conversations. It was mainly the Jewish leaders that weren't impressed with them. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just think that mission is the key. And I think we've gotten, especially when we start talking about um, COVID restrictions and stuff, we're so focused on our freedoms. We lose sight of the mission. Yeah. You've raised a very important point here, Sheldon. And that is um, uh, what is my mission and what is a, and is this over here part of that mission or is it a distraction from the mission? And I have seen uh, Christians uh, during this last two years who had, a very productive ministry and they're heading in the right direction. And then they've been almost, they, they have got refocused on fighting for our freedoms. And some of these freedoms are even freedom of assembly of Christians to worship in churches. Now that's, that is, that's a more controversial one within Christianity. Now I did work in a country where there was no freedom of assembly for Christians but they met uh, this one pastor that I, I, uh, I got to know. Uh, he had, I think it was 60, 60 house churches, 50 or 60 house churches. These are quiet, below the radar churches that meet individually in homes so that they're not, so the government tries to stomp out the, big, the people coming to this building here. And what happens, it's like jello, it just, and it's like whack-a-mole except when you hit this mole here, there's 17 more moles pop up all over the place. And in the end, I think it was much more effective because mm-hmm. the church was able to spread throughout communities that normally they wouldn't have been able to do so. And uh, the, it was able to multiply and multiply free of government oversight simply because they're already, they're already working under the radar here. But I think now here's one thing that I think is important, though. It's not a question of either or. Do you, is this my mission? My mission, my personal mission here or my job on a daily basis is has a lot to do with representing God online. And so I don't have uh, much time at all to be uh, distracted or diverted to fighting for political freedoms or freedom of speech and freedom of travel and assembly, though they are very close to my heart. But I do know that there's other people that do those things. Even politicians, for, there are Christian politicians, for example, that, that are there, and I think some of them are very good politicians who, who try and do the right thing in government. I don't have access, I don't, I don't really have, I don't have that platform, but there are people who do, and so I might wanna support them and vote for those people even though I'm not going to make public announcements and say, well, I think this party is better than that, because quite frankly, I've been very disappointed in political parties. So I am not going to associate Christianity with a particular party, left or right or Republican or conservative or liberal. That's a bad mistake, because when they go south, when they take a wrong turn, 
then your whole credibility takes a wrong turn as well. So uh, stay away from that, but recognize there are people in our culture who God does raise up to fight for freedom of assembly, freedom of speech, and so forth. That's not my mission, though. And I think Christians really need to think carefully about this distraction that can occur. And you can pay a big price if you're involved in a mission that God has not called you to. A big price in fruitfulness and productivity in the area you should have been involved in, while at the same time incurring all sorts of hammer blows from the government because you stepped into or handled it in the wrong way. Or maybe you had the right thing, you did it in the wrong way. Or maybe that wasn't your mission and you should have been supporting people this. Or maybe you should have adapted this way. Not an easy discussion, and I'm certainly aware of the, the pros and cons on this, but primarily we need to figure out what our mission is and, and fight for that. I don't even like to use the word fight. I just say press on regardless. So if I'm in a situation in another country where there, it's absolutely illegal to, to represent God there, it's, I, I, care, I could care less about the law in that particular way, but I do care a lot about carrying out the mission without getting hammered by the law. Where we simply adapt and carry out the mission in the circumstances that we have to live under, realizing that this whole world is going in the wrong direction. And ultimately, God prophesies in the Bible that when humanity finally goes to the extreme uh, of government rule, it'll be a totalitarian government. And that totalitarian government is inevitable according to the ancient prophecies, and it's going to get real ugly. It's going to get real ugly. So we're just working here. Jesus says, work for night is coming when no man can work. So we're not here to see how long we can survive. We're not here to fight necessarily for our rights, although there's people God raises up to do so, and I support them. But we're here individually to find out what is my mission in the bigger scheme of things with regard to the kingdom of God. And I need to stay focused on that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just come at it where if, if my focus is the mission, the other stuff is, does it help the mission? Um, but if that's my focus over there, I'm distracted from the mission. And um, again, some people may be called to help the mission by solving these problems over here. So if you're doing that, great. But don't make that an idol. Don't make that the, we win, we win, we won this battle over here. Because um, if, if that mission isn't the focus, you could win the battle and uh, totally miss out on what God's actually calling you to do. There's another whole big battle going on in this world that people just seem to be unaware of, but the Christians should be very aware of. It's a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. and we're that's where our main battle is while at the same time acknowledging that god does raise up people to rule mm -hmm. his own government they he raises up people to go into the judicial system into the media and there that's their mission uh in whatever way and uh mm -hmm. i support that i mean i cheer them on but i if they fall or even if they succeed well i'm happy but i know what are the long term what's going going to happen in this world. And I see that as maybe as a brief reprieve, a brief ray of sunshine, but I need to stay on mission, need to stay on task because night is coming when no man can work. And uh, I, I wholeheartedly want freedom of all the different sorts. And I think God ultimately gives us, here's another aspect we never even talked about in our times almost up here, but that's, there's another kind of freedom there our culture is totally unaware of, and that's freedom from our own, I don't know, freedom from the own natural way we are. And the Bible talks a lot about that. Like, how can I, and, and the, our culture actually applauds, you know, if you're born this way, you need to die that way. You need to live that way and die that way. But from God's perspective, he never intended us to finish the way we started. He talks about a new nature and how we can actually find freedom from the way we naturally are. And the way we naturally are might have some good things about it, but it's got some bad things too. Like the way I naturally am is if somebody cuts me off in traffic, 
I like to go out and have a little chat with them so that they will need some orthodontic work afterwards. I mean, that's my natural instinct. That's mm -hmm. not good. That's just the way I am. <laughs> and mm -hmm. So, and freedom from the way I naturally am to become a whole new person. I value that. I value that so highly, but our culture is utterly unaware of that kind of freedom. And I think a lot of the reason we have a lot of the mental illness, we have a lot of the um, stress and anger and a lot of the evil in the world is because um, people are living in that uh, sinful nature. It's called in the Bible and, it, it, hey, the sinful nature is not a good space. That's... The world says affirm that. Our culture says affirm that, but you end up getting trapped in the room with your sinful nature. Your And there's a lot of ugly things about that, and that can just mm -hmm. take you down over the decades as you grow older. Yeah. Um, if, you, if you've ever met somebody who's bitter, um, especially in, in their... As they get older in life, somebody who's bitter, you can it you can feel it when you enter the room, and um, God can break people through that, uh, break people out of that. But um, yeah, you you want to um, look at okay, God's God's created a way out, and uh, mm -hmm. you shall want to get into that. Uh, awesome chat, Kirk. Uh, we will see you next week, and uh, who knows what we'll talk about then. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure that out. All right. Talk to you later. Okay. Bye for now.